This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. National Signing Day is done, and Justin Hopkins was at Lava Lanes in Medford getting to celebrate last night. I'm sure a lot of fans were there with you getting to celebrate. Man, what a great day for the Ducks. Yeah, uh, you know, first off, that was an awesome event. Um, I don't know if any of the listeners, you know, were there, but it was the most people that we've had at our Southern Oregon Signing Day dinner in, I think, the last decade. I mean, just and it really, it's it's. Uh, I, I thought it was a great venue. It was a venue, it was first year we did it at Lava Lane, so I thought that was great. It worked really well. Yeah. Um, I think people were excited that we were able to reduce ticket prices as well and, and still offer food and everything. And I, I just think it was a great atmosphere. Obviously, you got TVs all over. It's a sports bar feel. You're there talking sports. Oh, it's a great place. Yeah, great it was a natural place for fit. That. Yeah. So it went really well. We were very fortunate to have. Uh, coach Mirabal, offensive line coach, came down, and then Coach Wilson, linebacker coach, they came down and brought a few of their GAs and analysts. And then Jordan Scott and Johnny Johnson came, a couple of players and and, and people like they were they were the hit. People were taking pictures with oh, them no all over. Yeah, it, they were they were definitely the hit and 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 very personable. I mean, if you follow Jordan on Twitter, you think, man, this guy's got you know, I mean, he's funny, you know, and he's that way in person. He's just really funny and and. Uh, it was great. It was just, it was a great event. Tell me about Alex Mirabal. Cause here's a guy that I feel like he slips under the radar, but he might be, if not the best assistant the ducks have, he's on that list. He's one of them. Yeah. I, I think you're a hundred percent right. There's a, there's a guy that, um, I mean, it's hard. I don't want to say that he's living in, 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 uh, in, in, uh, um, why am I blank? Anyway, uh, it's a Thursday morning. <laughs> you were a, up crazy late yeah. on National Signing Day. I'll Here, give you a mulligan. Here's what here's what happens. I always say Coach Mirabal and Coach Cristobal. And then when you do the two like that close together, I my brain like literally trips on it. It's like, like Mir- the same person. Mirabal, Cristobal, Coach. No, it's no. If I called them like Alex and Mario, it would be so much easier because it's so much different. Anyways, it's easy to get overshadowed by Coach Cristobal. Because he's a noted recruiter, head coach, you know, offensive lineman come. He's recruited offensive lineman at Bama. But Coach Mirabal holds his own. I mean, he's a big, big part of what Oregon's doing and how they're able. Because let's let's face it, Mario Cristobal can't go out and do the day-to-day recruiting like that as the head coach. I know he's very involved, but, you know, that's where Coach Mirabal comes in. And, and those guys aren't coming. Honestly, those guys aren't coming if Coach Mirabal's not doing a good job. And he right. is. So. Uh, no, that was great. It was great to hear him talk. Uh, he broke down all the offensive signees, and and Coach Wilson broke down the defensive signees. I got a ton of pictures from people that were up in the Portland one at Nike HQ, which I'd love to go to sometime. Uh, yeah, I saw pictures that looked like a palace yeah. Wednesday night. Yeah, that that's a whole different show than what we run down here. But you know, very cool, very cool, and and cool to see Duck fans out there. Really, it's just supporting the Ducks, and and it makes I know it makes the coaches feel good. It makes the players feel good. Um, just seeing people show up to those kinds of events. 
And now I want to transition into probably the meat and potatoes from Wednesday <laughs> night. Uh, you've previously said this was going to be the slowest signing day ever. Yeah. And it was close. It was pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, they still found a way to make a splash. Uh, tell me about Jason Jones, the kid from Bama. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I think that if you're ever if you're going to make one headline on National Signing Day, you're only going to make one headline and that headline reads Oregon flips Alabama commit. That's the headline to make, really. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't. Now, you know, the intricacies of, of Jason Jones and whether, you know, Bama was going to sign him or move him to offensive line or gray shirt, all that stuff doesn't matter. Oregon did a lot of work there to get him on campus. Um, they nailed his official visit. I know Jason felt really comfortable with the Oregon staff, with the players. I mean, just really enjoyed his visit. Let's face it, they nailed it. Nobody else tried to get involved late because at, at that point it felt like Oregon was the clear, decisive choice um, for the last two or three weeks leading up to his decision. So, And I'll say this, and I'll say it in more detail, I think, on the site, but at this point, at this stage, with what we know and the couple years of the early signing day that we've now had under our belt, if you have very few headlines on the February National Signing Day, it means you've done something right. Yeah, I mean, you've done something because let's face it, you could be like USC and miss out on basically everybody you oh, went no. after yesterday. Those are the wrong types of headlines. I feel so bad for your buddy, Scott Schrader. Yeah. And we, we've had him on the pod before. Good guy. But it, maybe it's just the Justin Flo news really got to me. But every time Schrader is saying, hey, I met somebody signing now, right? When you go to a signing, he's going to sign with Oregon. Right. When you go to an announcement, oh, he's going to announce Oregon. Right. When Schrader goes out, kids are picking Kentucky. Right. Kids are picking, you know, UMass. Yeah. Oregon. Yeah. What's going on? I mean, just a, I mean, I mean, just when you think, okay, USC recruiting can't get any worse kind of seems to take another step backward. You just got beat by Kentucky by yesterday. Kentucky, yeah. Not for hoops. Right. No, yeah, not for hoops. That's the key. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's just uh, it, 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 blows, it blows my mind how that whole operation is going down there. I, I do, again, I do believe that they're probably heading in a better direction, um, you know, with, with, uh, with the addition of Todd Orlando at defensive coordinator. Uh, but then, I mean, shoot, they just had a junior day. I think it was last weekend. They uh, USC had a big junior day. And the day after that, they fired the entire defensive staff. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, and I saw a couple people on Twitter like, man, we were just there yesterday talking to these guys, and you know what I mean? And boom, right. gone. That sounds so, a great message. It's uh, I, I bet you Mario's grinning Yeah. Oh, he thinks uh, about that. I would think so, yeah. you you got to be – you got to be pretty excited about just, you know, you've got to be pretty excited that, again, you finished with the top-ranked recruiting class in the Pac-12, um, you know, close to top 10. It was top 10 in rivals. Um, I believe it was 12 on 24-7 sports in the composite there. So you're, you're right there. You're talking about the matter of, like, a point or two difference, which uh, realistically, if you spread that among the, the 20-some commits um, or signees, that's like two-tenths of a point per player. So... Um, very marginal difference between top 10 and being number 12. So y you're good. But, yeah, then you're just watching whatever USC's. And, and Washington, there was a couple guys they were after late. Didn't get many of them. You know, yeah. they, they it wasn't a tough. They still finished with a good class, a so much better class than USC. But, 
Um, Don't tell Jimmy Lake. He thinks they got the best class he, in the he country. He thinks they do. They, you know, I, I looked up, and of course, so Rivals and ESPN have rankings uh, of their own, and then 24-7 Sports has its own ranking, and then it has the 24-7 Sports composite, which takes their ranking and everyone else's and puts it together. Right. The only one that has Washington ahead is 24-7 Sports' own ranking. So the composite, which averages them all, ESPN, Rivals all have Oregon as the top-ranked recruiting class. I, I guess I'm going to side with either the composite or the fact that two out of the three services have Oregon as number one. So maybe Jimmy Lake might want to clarify that. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I, I'm not as much of an expert as you are on this stuff. Right. But I know from the interviews that I've done for my radio show, when I reach out to a guy at 24-7, I've learned that Northwest beat really means Washington beat. And and West Coast beat, you're either L.A. or you're Seattle. So I know they got a lot of guys up there that maybe they're exposed to it a little bit more. Right. But I think they see a lot of the guys that Washington gets, and that might cause the Huskies to be a little pumped on their side. Yeah. I, I Again, if you're the University of Oregon, here's the, the, the bigger problem. You're always – and not that not that like UW isn't per se. They are a little bit too. But, but the state of Oregon produces such a small amount of talent that's Oregon level. Uh, and, and, again, we're seeing that Oregon didn't sign anyone from in-state in this particular cycle. Already have Keith Brown in the class of 21 committed. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the only player they take from the state of Oregon in this upcoming class. So you're talking about one player in you know this year and next year's class. There's just not much here, and it's hard for those guys to get ranked very well unless they go to all the camps, and none of them are nearby. You know the the closest one for uh, for everybody. There used to be one up in Seattle. They don't do that one anymore, at least as far as the opening uh, regionals go. So the closest one is Oakland. You got to go to the Bay Area. Which isn't an awful trip, but let's face it, that's still a three or four hundred dollar flight and, right. and and airport, you know, uh, a hotel and and other costs there. So you know, you're talking about a thousand bucks to go down for the day and and basically try to bump your ranking. That's really about all it's worth anymore. Um, you know, for a few kids, it's a chance to kind of get seen and, and noted a little bit, maybe up your, uh, you know, up your stock in recruiting and and grab some more offers. But a guy like Keith Brown doesn't need that. He's already got the offers. No doubt. So, uh, Seattle, you know, the state of Washington has a little bit more talent. Most years you can see there's a half, anywhere between a half dozen and a dozen guys that are going to go Pac-12 level, you know. And, and so that's, you think about it, it's like, okay, that's not a ton of guys. No, that's not a ton of guys, but that's a lot more than Oregon produces. And so I think that that definitely helps Washington a little bit, that when you're taking those in-state guys that you make a priority, they're already a little bit higher ranked because you've got, more guys in the state, which means those guys are going to pay the, the 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 guys that do the rankings are going to pay a little bit closer attention to you. At the end of the day, yeah, <clears throat> it's uh, it's pretty fascinating how all that shakes out. And you know, it's thinking it's about such an inexact science. That's the hard part. Like there is no right or wrong answer. You know what I mean? And and I know I said this last week. I I would never want to do rankings ever. I you did say that. Yeah, I, I don't mind doing ratings. You know, hey, this kid's a a, a high three star. He's a he's an eighty nine, almost a four star. Uh, you know, I don't mind doing those. Those are a little bit easier. Those are a lot easier to do. Doing an actual rankings is just uh, is difficult. So, uh, anyways, yeah, Oregon, where we're back to. Oregon finished number one in the Pac-12, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. 
I don't know about you. I, I, I agree. Maybe we can get I Jimmy agree. Lake on and we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I said it this way on my radio show, and I'm just keeping track of time. We got Greg Biggins uh, headed this way in a couple of minutes, right? Yep. Okay, so Greg Biggins coming up, and we're efforting a big fish. I'll just put it that way. But I said when the headline is Oregon competes with Alabama yeah. and then beats Alabama in recruiting – that's crazy. Yes. That is, to to analogize that to the real world, if my son or daughter has a 4.0 and they got, you know, uh, they're, they're good in sports, they're doing clubs and activities, they've got good references, and they have good SAT scores, I'm telling them, you want to go to the best schools. Right. Right. Best students seek the best schools. It's the same in sports. Best players seek the best schools. So when you have a kid who's committed to Alabama, what does that tell you? He's a good player. Right. He knows how to play some football. Yeah. No doubt. No, and, uh, you know, that's the thing. I, I was going back, and I thought about this in my own head. Yesterday was very anticlimactic for Oregon fans. I get that. And it's funny because in years past, there's been some big fish on the line, and, you know, it, it just – it's crazy to me that we're thinking as few as three to four years ago, Oregon's going head-to-head with USC for the likes of Devin Williams and Juju Smith-Schuster and all these guys that are down to the wire and, you know, DeAnthony Thomas and all. And and DeAnthony Thomas is the lone exception. Whatever ten examples you want to bring up, nine of them went to USC right. every time right. other than DeAnthony Thomas. And, and the whole Pac-12. <laughs> right. And, and that was the other thing I brought up yesterday. It used to be if you were an elite football player, especially on the West Coast, if you were the best running back in the country, Reggie Bush, you yep. went to USC. Best quarterback in the country, Matt Leinert, you went to USC. Right. Best linebackers, I mean, there's a whole list of linebackers that picked USC. They lined up to go to USC. Right. And now they line up to go to Oregon. Right. How crazy is that? It's 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 pretty it's pretty remarkable. It's pretty crazy just to fully encapsulate where Oregon recruiting is. Is it a top five class? No. Even as good as Oregon's recruiting right now, I still don't think you'll see a top five class at Oregon, maybe outside of a one-off that just happens where the stars align. As long as they stay right around top 10, which they are, and are at least second in the Pac-12 or better, depending on, on numbers, you're right where you need to be. Yes. They're yes. developing talent well enough. And, and keep in mind, these rankings also don't take into account graduate transfers. If you put in Devin Williams into what Oregon signed, they're top 10. I mean, in my opinion, they're top 10. Yes. That's a huge, huge addition. And that's okay that they don't count that. I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't really know how you do that. But as long as Oregon can recruit well enough at the prep level and then add a couple graduate transfers here and there that help bridge the gap in areas – they're going to be just fine. Yes. We've seen the fourth quarter program really take over conditioning and strength for these young men and saw that pay off this season. And then you're talking about the development of these assistant coaches at practices, uh, you know, Big Joe working with the D-line, all those guys. You're seeing them get better. So as long as that talent is somewhere, and I'm just using my hand, but somewhere at a mid-level or better, you're able to to take them to where you need them to be. It's really hard to take those one- and two-star guys and get them up there. Your chances of, of success that way are significantly lower. So Oregon's in great shape. Um, do you have a favorite guy from this class? 
Yeah, yeah. For me, it still goes down to that lineman from Honolulu. Oh, really? He's only Ope? a three star. Yeah, but I, I just I fall in love with those measurables. He is freaking huge, yeah. and and I just picture a brick wall that you can't get past him. It, it's going to be really interesting to see Ope Fa Ope Lalulu go up against Jason Jones for the next few years. Yeah. You're oh, talking talk like, about a wall. Yeah. You're talking about yeah, six, six, eight, six, three twenty five. Yeah. You're talking six, six, you know, he's, he's like, uh, Jason Jones, like six, six, three forty ish. And Ope is like six, seven, six, eight, three or 400 pounds. I mean, you're talking about two human beings colliding. That's just, it's incredible. And they're both at Oregon. That's the crazy part. Yeah. I mean, just how, much bigger is this Oregon program than it was. I mean, I I need to do that. I should add up like the roster weights. Oh yeah, from from the Chip days. Yeah, because because what did everybody say when Chip Kelly was taking the Ducks to the promised land? Right. Right. Oh, they're they're cute. Yeah. Cool uniforms. Fast. Right. But finesse. Yeah. They would they would use that word finesse, and that's a derogatory word in football. Yeah, they were still getting pushed around by Stanford at will. Um, in some in some and then anytime they got to a major bowl game auburn ohio state whatever they did oregon did pretty well against auburn in that particular game in that title game but ohio state had its way with oregon yeah just out physical them in every dimension and it you know it it happens and and we definitely didn't see that in the rose bowl this year (laughs) i cannot i still can't get over the fact of how much oregon pushed around wisconsin at the line of scrimmage both sides i've still got images of Kayvon thibodeau treating that center (laughs) a good center like all big 10 center yeah and pushing him around like he's a blocking sled yeah as a true freshman yeah when his when his best move is you know basically a speed rusher and he's in there powering these dudes yeah yeah, it's his best move (laughs) Pretty cool. But no, uh, so you were right. We got 24-7 sports. Uh, uh, gosh, I'd have to look up his exact title. I just call him the GOAT. Greg Biggins right. is one of my favorites. We've had him on before. He's awesome. Knows his stuff. He does. Super smart. He's like a walking encyclopedia on thousands of kids every yeah. year. I mean, he he understands the SoCal footprint as good as anybody out there. Um, and, and I think he's one of the guys that truly does a tremendous job of being unbiased in this profession and being... Um, pretty transparent about why he's ranking kids the way he is or moving them up or down or why he's making this pick on a kid. He, he does a really good job there. So excited to have Greg on and, and just listen to him talk about this organ class for a few minutes. On air, we didn't know what his title was. Off air, Justin called him Dr. Greg Biggins. He's Greg Biggins, 24-7 sports. Greg We've had you on before, and and we know from experience, you know your stuff. Justin is telling me that you have a crush on Justin Flo, the the five star backer <laughs> that committed to the Ducks. What do you like about him? I don't. I, uh, the word crush might be a little strong. Um, <laughs> although I am secure in my masculinity, I wouldn't say I have a crush on on any seventeen, eighteen year old high school kid. But <laughs> I do love the way he plays football. Uh, mean, angry, aggressive, physical, tough. Um, you know, downhill, in the box, just knocked the crap out of you, kind of a linebacker, but improved. I think he's a better athlete to give him credit for. And, and I always say people want to make the comparison between him and, you know, you'll, you'll hear Vontez Burfecht, you'll hear Ray Lewis. Uh, the Burfecht one, I kind of fits. I saw them both in high school. They both play angry, kind of a maniacal type of personality. But I think Justin's a better athlete in terms of just a little more quick, uh, a little better straight line speed. Uh, Vontez is extremely smart. You talk to Matt Logan over at Centennial, he'll tell you Vontez, as crazy as people say he is, he's, he was probably the smartest football player Matt's ever had. I think Justin is very smart as well. 
and you kind of just watch him. He always seems to be in the right place, right time. That doesn't just happen. Uh, that's because, again, he's a very smart kid with, with high-level instincts. And he just the thing I think I love about Justin is no matter what the setting is, whether it be a seven-on-seven, seven, whether it be a, a, a Nike opening camp, whether it be with pads on, whether it be at the Polynesian Bowl, he just has a way because of how hard he plays. He kind of just elevates everybody around him. And you, and you see it. You, you literally see when he's in a drill getting ready to go, everybody just kind of like watches him. And then when he does his thing, man, it just everybody else wants to kind of get to that level as well. And, and he just has a way of bringing the best out of everybody. And obviously, you know, it, what better trait to have in an inside linebacker? So you kind of match him with Noah. I mean, you're talking about two guys that are very built the same. They're wired the same way. They're, uh, it, it's going to be pretty special watching those two guys going at it. You know, for I know you've been in the game even longer than I have, GB. It certainly reminds me of the of the days of of USC having those elite five star linebackers. You know, two and three deep, and it certainly seems like something Oregon might have in the next couple of years with those with those two um, back there. Uh, the Ducks did pretty well in in California uh, this year as they did last year. Um, you know, there's a number of guys, and I know you specialize out in the West Coast. Um, you know, Jaden Navarrete, Jay Butterfield, Chris Hudson, uh, Jared Greenfield, the number of guys that I'm sure you've seen. Is there somebody that you feel like Oregon got a pretty good steal on in this class that at least you've seen uh, in the Western footprint? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think all those guys you, you just mentioned, they all, have, they all have talent for sure. They all have, you know, physical traits that you, that you like. Um, I think Chris Hudson is unique in that, the thing that that stands out for me, he's so he's so highly competitive, and he, his confidence is at such a high level. Sometimes you almost feel like you know it's a little over the top, confident, cocky. It was kind of funny. I, I joked around with him at the volleyball. You know, he, he it was he was his Twitter handle was five star Chris Hudson, and then he never got a five star. It was like stars don't matter, <laughs> and it was kind of like this. But in his eyes, he used, he honestly he feels he's the number one receiver in the country, and so when he plays, I mean, he kind of carries that. A uh, little swagger with him, and you know he's 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 both quick and fast. Uh, he's very good after the catch. I think he's going to be a guy you'll see on punt kick returns. It's it, it's weird. I, I, he doesn't he drops a lot of balls for me, and, that, and that's why his ranking probably wasn't as high as, as he thinks it should be. But I don't think it's a, a natural inability to catch the football because when he catches it, he's a, he's a pretty natural pass catcher. I think it might just be a concentration thing. But he'll usually have. I've seen him play so many games. He usually have one or two drops a game, and it'll make a, a you know a spectacular you know one-headed catch in traffic. So you're kind of just seeing you know what he can be. Uh, I think if he's a little bit more consistent as a pass catcher, along with the rest of his physical traits, I think he has a chance to be really good for Oregon. So yeah, it sounds like from you maybe just you know securing his concentration a little bit, or maybe it's like a lapse or something, um, you know, mom- momentary lapse, but. Uh, Oregon's definitely got a need at wide receiver, so that's a big one. I, I know you've got Blair Angelo down there at, who does a little bit more uh, of, of the, uh, I don't know what area you want to call it, but uh, Noah Sewell is who I want to talk about next. And I know you have been out to Utah to see him, but you saw him at several bowls along the way. What do you like about Oregon's other five-star linebacker, Noah Sewell? Man, I mean, everything I said about Justin, I think, can also apply to Noah. I mean, he's, he's got a dog mentality. He's an alpha male, and... He just he's a guy who just plays with maniacal effort, you know. I think the first time we saw him was, I mean, we've been seeing him for three years now because we know the family so well. Um, but at the Nike opening last February, you know, you saw this guy, he's 
uh, 6'2 and 270. And I went over and I, I grabbed his, I heard some buzz about how he tested. So I went and got his testing card and I couldn't believe the numbers. I mean, it was num- eye popping numbers, the vertical jump and the 44 seven and jumping, I think almost 40 inches and the quickness. And, and then, so we always had this thought of, Hey, eventually he's going to grow out a linebacker. He's 270. He's Polynesian. Um, because I'm from Hawaii. I can say this. Polynesians usually get bigger. They don't get smaller once they, you know, get to college. Uh, although Panay was able to lean out. Um, he, I, I've completely changed my thought on him outgrowing linebacker and playing, you know, D tackle, nose guard, whatever. I had this vision of him being 295 in three years and being a, a tremendous defensive lineman. Now I 100% see him as a linebacker. And I don't think he even needs to lose weight. I think he will, you know, just organically. Um, you know, again, watching him at volleyball, I, I looked at him and I go, dude, you don't have a lot of bad body fat on you at all. I mean, he's, you wouldn't, you wouldn't guess he was 270. If you saw him flow next to each other, you probably thought Noah was maybe 240. But he's 270. So say you shave off 10 pounds and he's 260. I mean, I think he's fine right where he's at. But if he's at, at, at 260, he's extremely quick laterally and straight line. Uh, he can change direction. At the opening finals, he was the quickest linebacker in the whole entire camp, I felt like. Just watching him close on guys, it, it was unbelievable. Just his change of direction. There's no stiffness in him at all. There's no, um, you know, some guys that big, they're strictly a straight line guy. But he's changing direction. He's getting his foot in the ground. Uh, he's balanced. He's coordinated. He was, he was unreal. He was my number one linebacker at the opening final. And then you kind of just see the film. You know, and even at the, you know, even at the, you know, the polyball where it's just kind of, you know, going through it, just helmets only. There are so many times when you just felt like if he wanted to, he could have literally killed a guy in the field. You know, a guy going over <laughs> a little, little crossing route, and he just kind of backs off. But his last three or four strides to get to a ball carry are so quick, and then he's just a devastating hitter. So, again, those two guys, I'm curious how they're going to play them together because you got to get them both on the field. They're both kind of probably, you know, more inside guys. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Oregon, not, not really a 3-4 team. They're kind of more multiple. But if there's a way to get them both on the field, that, and I know, you know, Andy Avalos is very creative and he'll find a way. But seeing those two guys light up next to each other, uh, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch those two guys play and develop. I uh, don't think I've heard a bad word out of your mouth when it comes <laughs> to this Ducks recruiting class, Greg. Uh, can we ask you about the Trojans a little bit? Because I think that's a, a really fascinating inverse to the good vibes going on up north. Uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. I told you off air. I'm actually they're having me do a little little story on the the kind of the woes of what happened with USC. And you know, they were 12th back in December. And you know, we all thought, hey, they'll, they'll make a run, right? If USC, you're kind of just expecting them to make a run. It's like watching a, a really good basketball team, like, like watching Duke, right? Yeah. They're down by 20. They'll, they'll make a run at some point. And it just it didn't really happen. They were able to land Gary Bryant at the All American Bowl, and then able to land Jack Yeary last week, and that was it. And they didn't have a lot of spots. They only had, you know, 16 spots open, but they just missed on a lot of guys that normally they would able, you know, be able to pull in. And I think people ask why, what happened with this year's class, and there's a number of things. You know, it's kind of like a perfect storm of just a lot of negativity. Um, you know, Clay Helton, uh, I hate using that term, but, you know, he's kind of been a little, little bit of a lame duck coach the last couple of years. And I've always said it, it's harder to recruit uh, to a school 
when there's a rumored coaching change, it, it's harder to recruit than it, it, there's an actual coaching change itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Meaning this, kids and parents, they kind of flip out over um, lack of stability. So when there's a rumored coaching change and they don't know if they want to commit because, you know, shoot, you know, people keep saying health and will not be here next year. Do I commit to the school? You make a coaching change and at least the kid knows, okay, this guy's going to be, he'll be my coach for the next three or four years. So um, this is about the third year in a row where there's been, you know, talk of it will help him come back. will help him come back. So I think that's really hurt recruiting. I think, you know, five years ago, local kids in Southern California, you know, they're going to USC no matter who the head coach is, no matter what the record is. I think kids no longer, they don't just do that anymore. There's so many other factors that they're looking for in the school. I think they're traveling a lot more. They're taking more unofficial trips, and they're seeing that, you know what, the grass is greener, you know, elsewhere, not just, you know, Pac-12. Obviously, Oregon, Washington are doing well, but now all of a sudden you're seeing all these national programs like Clemson coming in, Ohio State's coming in, Notre Dame has always come in. Uh, the Florida schools are coming in. Texas schools are coming in. Michigan's coming in. So now I feel like these kids have all these options, these, these national programs. It's almost like they're sharks with blood in the water. They're seeing a, maybe a little bit of uncertainty at USC. Uh, UCLA is a little bit down as well. And so they're going after these Southern California kids hard. These Southern California kids are seeing you know, all that national exposure. Uh, they're seeing who's playing in the playoffs every year and those schools. You know, are, are making it really hard for these guys to say no and, and just, you know, I'm just going to go to my local school just because it's local. They, they don't feel that way anymore. And you used to have kids say, oh, I grew up watching Reggie Bush. And I still hear kids say that, even though they're, you know, they'd be, what, one or two years old when Reggie Bush played at <laughs> USC. So even though they'll, they'll still say, hey, I grew up watching USC football, um, I just feel like that's kind of gone down a little bit. And there's other programs, you know, again, even in the Pac 12, we can, we can turn it back to Oregon. Oregon does a phenomenal job recruiting guys. They recruit harder than any other school. We already covered that, and it's, that's a known fact. Um, so it, it's all these different factors. And, and also, uh, I just didn't feel like the USC staff went after kids as hard as, as other schools. So not only do you have to worry about you know your coach and, and a lot of negative recruiting and kids kind of being uncertain, but the staff just wasn't pushing as hard at least this particular class, and they got rid of a lot of, you know, a lot of coaches. They just fired, you know, their whole entire defensive staff. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see if there's changes. Their, their 2021 class is actually um, looking probably better in terms of high-end talent than the 2020 class. So, you know, hopefully things will turn around for them a little bit right now. Like I said, I think things are going in that direction. But, yeah, that 2020 class uh, finishing number 10 and number 50-something nationally is, is historically bad for them. Yeah, I believe that you you made an excellent point, Greg, and just that USC's hurt themselves with that uncertainty. You know, because if if Clay Helton's the guy long term, you you get behind him and he'll be able to recruit well from that position of strength. If you get rid of him, they're going to bring in another great coach, and every everyone's going to be excited about that coach, and then they come back again. You're literally right in the middle uh, in no man's land, which really made it made it worse for them, um, I believe as well. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you, and you hit on it real briefly. There are a lot of programs coming in and recruiting California from outside the Pac-12 footprint and having big success with it. Clemson, LSU, Alabama, all the heavy hitters. As as I believe you are a bit of a Pac-12 guy, I know you don't have an allegiance to any specific school, but a bit of a Pac-12 guy. How alarming is that trend to you for the long-term future of the Pac-12 and the teams involved? Yeah, I think it is pretty alarming, and... Um, I think it's, it's, I want to say it's, uh, it's kind of trending 
in that direction, even with 2021. We've already seen, you know, the top player in the region, uh, Corey Foreman, committed uh, to Clemson. You got the top receiver, uh, Bo Collins, also committed to Clemson. You got Rajon Davis, the top linebacker in the region, has already committed uh, to LSU. You got a couple other players. You know, I think right now Jalen Davies, he might be the top, you know, cover corner in the uh, in the area. You know, I think right now he's probably in Ohio State range. So you got a lot of these guys. Is wasn't I don't think it's a trend that's going to stop anytime soon. You know, again, I, I think Oregon's going to be fine because they're able to recruit nationally and, and they're doing really well in Southern California. But a lot of the other Pac-12 schools, I didn't think Washington's doing well. But if you're focusing, it seems like a lot of people when they look at the Pac-12. They almost always comes down to it. If USC is good, then the conference looks good, right? Right. You know, so to, even to a lesser extent, I think UCLA has some name brand to it, although they've been down for a long time. But I think USC is kind of the school that people look at. And if they're not good, then people look at the Pac-12. Oh, the Pac-12 sucks. Well, you just had Oregon finish fifth. Well, I don't care. The whole conference is awful. It just. I think a lot of that's because USC didn't finish up strong. So I think it's a trend that. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, and I don't see. They, I don't know how you change it. I don't know what's going to reverse this trend right now because Clemson isn't going anywhere. Neither is Ohio State. Neither is LSU. I mean, those schools are going to continue to come into Southern California. It's like chicken or the egg. I think these kids need to stay home for the Pac-12 to do good, but they want to see the Pac-12 do good before they choose to go there, right? So right. it's kind of like, what's going to happen first? They're going to take a chance on staying closer to home and, and playing for the, you know, the, the local schools. I don't just mean, you know, in state. I just mean, you know, West Coast Pac-12. If, if they were all to stay, then you build up the conference. But I don't think these kids feel – they don't feel like they need to stay just to build up a conference. They're looking for what the best opportunity for them is going to be. And if they feel like, hey, I'm going to go to LSU and get developed better and play for DBU and go three and out and hopefully play in a, in a BCS title game and then become a first-round pick, what school gives me the better opportunity right now, going to LSU or staying close to home and staying playing for you know UCLA? Um, so for them, that's you know that's easy. That's an easy one. So, and I think right now, it's uh, it's definitely a time that I haven't ever seen before in terms of so many players leaving. And so we'll see if the trend reverses anytime soon. At least twenty twenty one so far, uh, it's definitely not trending in any other direction other than how it's been the last couple of years. Yeah, it certainly seems like the flag's been planted, and it's just uh, it's not going. It's not getting pulled out of the ground anytime soon. Like you said, that you know, Oregon and Washington, and even ASU to an extent, seems to have been able to do fairly well with with USC being down a little bit right now. But you know, like you said, those elite five star, top one hundred, top fifty guys all leaving the Pac twelve footprint is definitely a problem for the conference. I know we talked about USA. I just want to hit real quick UCLA. It seems as though it's almost becoming a bit of a forgotten school at this point. Chip Kelly's there. Oregon fans are very well aware of him as a head coach. Just what are you kind of seeing with that program right now? You know what? It, it, it's I, I still don't think I've put my finger on exactly what they're, what they're doing. I think this year was much better than it was last year. Uh, I think they actually finished with you know pretty close to a top 30 class, but they just they just recruit in such a different way. You know, they're a little slower with the offers going out, and then uh, they don't they don't really get after kids as aggressively. It's almost like they don't want to have to have a kid choose them because you know they showed them all this love, and if the kid needs that, that's not he's not for us. Is that it's kind of that kind of thing. So you look at their class and the players they signed. It's actually they actually did pretty well. It's just it's such a unique approach. They just don't create a lot of buzz among some of the California kids. They don't offer, um, you know, anywhere near 
the same amount of players that other schools do. They're really selective. They almost recruit like they're Clemson or Bama in terms of how selective they are. And then I think the issue is it's, it's one thing if you want to be selective with your offers, but, man, it just – Get them out earlier, and then once you put that offer out, man, go be aggressive with these guys. Go out, recruit players. Uh, you know, it's so. And the biggest issue is UCLA always is going to be kind of the school that's behind USC to start off with. So if it's a race, it's a hundred meters. Uh, you know, USC is the starting line. UCLA is always going to be about five meters back, just because these kids grew up USC fans. So UCLA is already kind of starting from behind. So in order to catch up, man, you got to do something unique. you got to either be the school that goes all in and is super aggressive or offer them early on or win 10 games. Those are the kind of the three things. So they haven't played well on the field. They've won, I don't know how many games, seven or six the last two years, which I don't think anyone expected. They thought Chip's coming in, and they're going to you know, basically do what they did at Oregon with better athletes because they're in Southern California. But you know that just kind of hasn't happened. So um, I think this year is, I don't want to say make or break, but – they got to win at least, I would say, seven to eight games to kind of show some progress. And if not, you can't go three years in a row with poor on-the-field performance and then expect to recruit at a high level. Again, it's, it's chicken or the egg. you got to win games. You need players to do it. Players don't want to go there unless you win games. So something's got to give. And, again, hopefully they go out and, and win some games and uh, they can recruit better. You know, like I said, last year was better. You know, we'll see if 2021 is going to be even better. And you know, If they finish with a top 25 class, that, that's not too shabby. So, uh, again, 30, top 30 this year, and, and we'll see if they do better in 2021. Yeah, I just, I mean, I remember covering uh, recruiting while Chip was up here and, and very much the same, just almost like, hey, we're going to offer you, we want you, but we only want guys that really want to be here. We're not going to show you the love and do all the edits and all this other stuff. If you, <laughs> if you want to be here, you'll come and – like you said, when, when he's at Oregon, it worked because he was winning. You know, the offense was great. Everybody's buzzing. You can get away with it yeah. at Oregon. You know, so far, uh, just hasn't been there at UCLA. Got to beat USC this year, I would think. That's got to be a big game for them. Uh, and, and it's funny, I was thinking back to something you said about Reggie Bush, you know, those kids being one or two or whatever they were when Reggie Bush was there. I know I don't go to nearly as many events as you on a, on a, on a year basis. I go to a couple. But it's funny when I go to the SoCal ones and, and, and all the parents – all USC uniforms and jerseys and sweatshirts and hats. It's all the parents, but then all the kids have like ducks and Bama and LSU. It's just, <laughs> it's so much different than it was, you know, five, six, seven years ago, like, like you said, but uh, Greg, yeah. we're, we're very, that's, uh, the, that, that's the big advantage. You just to finish off that thought, Jay Hop. Yeah. That's the big advantage that I, I think USC does have is it, it, the kids never saw Reggie Bush, but let's get that. Let's just be, be honest. Cause you were one or two years old. But it's, it's the parents, it's the uncle, it's the Pop Warner coach, it's the handler, it's the 797. All those people in this area, for the most part, are all USC guys. Right. So for USC to turn it around, it's not going to be that hard because you already have the advantage of your support system wants you to stay local. A lot of it is because they grew up on USC football, and honestly, a lot of these people want to be able to go and brag to their buddies and say, hey, my kid goes to USC. Right. That's what a lot of it is. And so, but the kids right now, they don't care about the tradition. They don't care so much about what you did 10 years ago. They want to go where you're being loved up, where you can win and develop. And, and that's why they're kind of leaving. But if USC were to win some games and kind of turn it around, it, it would not, it, this is not a, a long fix. I think it's a pretty quick fix. It's a one or two year fix. Although this year's class, I think, kind of does set them back a little bit. You can't have back to back poor classes because it's going to catch up with you in three to four years when 
this incoming freshman class and, and this, you know, those guys are juniors and seniors. Right. But they need to finish up with a really good 2021 class. And if they do, I think they can turn it around. But, uh, yeah, no, right, right now it's, you know, it's, it's really unique out here. I'll say that. Well, I, I, you know, I've said this for a couple of weeks. You know, I'm not a USC guy, but I thought the Todd Orlando Ohio was a really good hire for them. And, you know, I think there's a chance for them, you know, with the with the Pac-12 South being kind of weak, I think there's a chance for them to make a little bit of noise this year. That could obviously go a long ways, especially if there's some confidence behind Helton at that point. Sure, I do too. I, I agree. I like the Orlando hire, and I think the offense, you know, that's already rolling. It's only going to get better with those receivers and that young quarterback, and Graham Harrell does a good job. So, yeah, I think Orlando's going to be good. Like, I think he got a bad rap for last year at Texas, and um, which was a lot of, you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of holes in the secondary, so... We'll see, man. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I am a Pac-12 guy. I would love to see, you know, one or two teams relevant nationally every year and, you know, make an occasional playoff. That'd be, that'd be fun for me as a Pac-12 guy. So hopefully it happens in the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so, too. It doesn't have to be Oregon. I mean, it would be good for business for me if it was Oregon, but I <laughs> just like you I said. I think they're close, man. I think Oregon is really, really close. So uh, I would not be surprised if it happens, but I would love to see, you know, Wash can make a run. I miss the days when Stanford was, was really good. Obviously, yeah. USC and UCLA be fun for them. And locally, I'm, I'm out here. Uh, you know, Arizona State, I like the direction they're going. I love the young quarterback there. So yep. it's hard, dude. It's hard because, again, those teams out there in the South and, you know, the Big Ten, Ohio State, Oklahoma, uh, you know, Clemson, Alabama, like, it's just different. The kids are different. They look different. They act different. They have a little different edge, a little different attitude. They got so many men, so many big, strong offensive linemen and defensive tackles that we just don't have out there. Right. And you know, I think Oregon clicked on something. You got to go national to recruit linemen. At ASU, Antonio Pierce said it yesterday. We're going back east next two classes, and we're going to get a bunch of linemen. And uh, I think that's what you got to do. That just we don't have as many big, strong, physical O linemen, D tackles out west. You just, I don't know where they went. We don't have them. So you kind of have to recruit nationally. Go to the Carolinas. Go and find the guys that you know. Shoot, the second tier guys out there are better than our first tier guys out here. So that's what you got to do. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I was just about to ask you that. Do you agree with that philosophy? Because, like you said, Pierce, uh, I saw him mention that yesterday, and I know that that's Oregon's direction. Hey, let's go get these, you know, longer body types that don't grow out west that are more athletic. Sure, they're only a three star and only have a couple offers, but it's better than what we can find out here out west i mean i fully buy into that philosophy you you tend to agree with it a little bit as well 100 percent, yeah 100 percent uh you know I, I know you know ryan bartow really well i was just with him last week and he was you know he's traveling the country doing a lot of different things and he showed me you know just the north just north and south carolina alone um just how many players how many big d linemen o linemen have come out of just that area and have kind of gotten drafted and then just just some pictures of what those guys look like. And, again, we just don't have them out here. Yes, there's, you know, every year there'll be a White Davis. There'll be a Panay Sewell. Um, you know, in Southern California, there'll always be one or two guys, but there's 20 of those guys in the Carolinas. There's 50 in the South, if you're including, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, that, that whole area right there. Uh, there's even going in the Midwest, Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, there's just, they just have a lot more. A lot more of them. So I, I'm all about recruiting your backyard, recruiting the heck out of the top local guy, but you can find three or four guys out there that, uh, that is going to be really good, productive. You can develop them, and uh, that, that's the direction I would definitely go. 
All right. He's Greg Biggins, 24-7 Sports. Greg, we really appreciate your time today, my friend. You just nailed it on these guys and taught a lot of Duck fans, not only about the players that Oregon got, but about the state of the rest of the Pac-12. Really, really thankful for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me. Always fun talking to you guys. Yeah, I'm not just saying this because you're on with us. That was one of my favorite segments I think we've done in a while, Greg. So really appreciate your time, man. Hey, good Jay Hop. Always good talking to you, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, buddy. So uh, we efforted a big fish, but he's a busy guy. So yeah, I guess we'll save that for next year's national. Well, so I mean, obviously, uh, Greg was on first and foremost. You know, thanks to Greg, I thought I thought that was a tremendous segment, just really enlightening, and it's fun to get. You know, I know. uh, Here's the thing: I feel as though I say a lot of the same things that Greg Biggins said today. But it's always nice to have that second voice, that, you know, out-of-region voice, somebody, oh, you know, Jayhop's totally. just biased towards the Ducks. Totally. Okay, maybe I am. But now you have Greg Biggins, who's not. You know, he's just, he's 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 as level-headed as they come and, um, you know, really agreed with a lot of the things that I've been saying and, and, and made a lot of great points there. So um, I'm not just, I, I'm not just making it up. That was one of my more, you know, one of my favorite segments that I think we've had. Yeah at least in a while on this podcast. And, and uh, I mean, again, kudos to the Oregon staff for a number of things, obviously for recruiting as hard as they do, uh, you know, signing five-star linebackers, five-star defensive back, bringing in the top class once again, but really adapting and, and taking to heart, you know, going out and finding those developmental projectable body types that even Greg Biggins agrees doesn't exist in abundance out West. And, if you want to win, if you want to be able to compete with a Wisconsin or an Alabama or, or a Ohio State, when you get to that point, you know, in the playoffs or in a major bowl game, you got to have those body types on your roster. Yes. And give Oregon credit. They haven't given up speed, you know, for the sake of just getting big power guys. It's, it's a pretty good blend, but they've definitely gone out and made this roster bigger and more physical, which will only help them endure a season and will also help them when they play those heavyweights. Yeah, that's a great thing going forward for Oregon, and I wholeheartedly agree. That interview with Greg was phenomenal. What stands out to me every time we've ever had Greg on is he shines a light on what people want. Yeah. Uh, the last time we had him on, I think last summer, he talked about what athletes want mm-hmm. and what Oregon does to impress them. And today, it had more to do with USC and UCLA, but he really explained what parents want. Sure. And what USC doesn't have, stability, Oregon has. What UCLA doesn't do in that they're not enthusiastic, they're not pouring the love out to these families, Oregon does. Yeah. And I, I think that that might be the single best thing the Ducks have going forward is Crystal Ball has clearly fleshed out a blueprint of what isn't being done by the rest of the Pac-12. Yeah. He's going to go do it. Yeah. No, you're right. And and I and the the funny part is and I I don't think I've really said this before, but I mean it. Uh, I've gone to a couple of LA camps and stuff and again, I know Greg Biggins goes to him every weekend. He probably knows fully what I'm talking about. But you go and, you know, all the, it's seven on seven or whatever, and all the parents are there, and it's USC stuff everywhere. Right. All the parents. As every, it should be. Hats, you know, shirts. It's everywhere. And, and like, it, you go and you're, like, if anybody ever listens to this and goes, you know what, I'm a, I live in SoCal, I'm going to go check out a seven on seven tournament just for fun. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's, duck, it's, it's USC stuff everywhere. But the kids, the ones actually playing when they come off the field and stuff, 
they have, you know, Oregon gloves and one will be wearing a, you know, an LSU shirt or you see all these different teams that are not USC on the kids. It's, it's really interesting to see it because I, I, I mean, I get it. So I, I guess what impressed me most, and so I'll say this, Oregon recruiting the way they have in Southern California means that not only have they had to go out and identify talent, they've had to recruit the kids that have grown up in a predominantly USC leaning heavy yes. household and that's not easy no no you're you have something you know like uh like greg biggin said if you're running a a hundred yard a hundred meter dash you're already 10 yards behind because the parents want this kid to go to usc right so you're already having to make up those 10 yards just from the get-go it, it makes me think i have a couple um couple cousins that are military families oh, of yeah. their dad was in the air force so they joined the air force right. their kids are going to join the air force if you're in a military family and dad is an Air Force guy. Grandpa was an Air Force guy. If you try to join the Navy, they're ticked. Right? <laughs> You're out. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you got to really, really convince them that that's the best move for you. And when you're in a USC family and dad's a USC fan and mom's a USC fan, Uncle Frank's a USC fan, grandpa's a USC fan, you got to really convince them if you want to go to Oregon. Yeah. That's a hard pitch. That's a hard sell. And the Ducks yeah. are pulling it off. Yeah. I mean, why? I think Justin Flo is a perfect example. I mean, let's face it. Uh, two years ago, you know, Justin Flo would have been like a sophomore. And you probably could have pulled 10 people that cover recruiting and said, where's Justin Flo going to go to school? He's going to go to USC. And I'm just talking two years ago. Right. Everybody would have said he's going to USC. Don't even bother recruiting him. He's going to USC. And then last year as a junior... He's probably still a USC lean, but is listening to these other schools. You go to much of this year, USC was on the back burner. Like they were, they were right. out for parts of it. They didn't show up till the end. With yeah, your buddy he, they, he kept. And the only reason they showed up at the end is because they were the home. It, it became, it became, and it's one of the things I've talked about over and over. Distance becomes a factor in the in the waning hours of a recruitment, almost always. So if the kid hasn't committed already, you know, isn't, hasn't, you know, you know, Oregon got several commits nationally in the spring and summer, they were locked in and, and loaded by the time signing day came around. It wasn't like, oh gosh, I'm suddenly leaving. That release realization had been there for three or four or five months already. You know, they knew they were not going to be, you know, home this time next year. For somebody that's uncommitted, you get to that 11th, 12th hour. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, oh man, yeah, well, I really like Cle Justin Flo. I really like Clemson, but it's all the way over there yeah the, it's a, and that's why so i say i know greg biggins mentioned Corey foreman making an early commitment the number one player in 2021 out of socal right now he's committed i get it that's fine let's see what happens in the 11th or 12th hour when he that realization suddenly hits like holy crap clemson's 3300 miles that way i'm, no, I'm not going to get to come home or see mom and dad or whatever you know that stuff starts creeping in if he doesn't decommit along the way, he might have that strong enough bond already. He won't decommit. He's already, he's already come to terms with it. But right. We'll see. There's a long way. We're talking about this in February, and he doesn't sign until December. So yeah. he's just an example. My I favorite mean. example of that, and it's it's not super relevant right now because it's a, a couple months removed, but the, uh, the kid that the Ducks were looking at in December mm -hmm. that went to Arkansas instead. Yeah. Where clearly he was thinking about location. Right. And even though he'd committed to Oregon in the in the spring or summer, or whatever, uh, Miles Slusher, who is who we're talking about, out of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, you know, he had taken several visits along the way to some of those schools, Nebraska, some of those schools uh, in that region. 
So he'd already kind of come to the realization at that point, hey, I am committed to Oregon, but I, you know, I'm kind of keeping an eye on the fact that that's a long ways from home. Right. And, you know, so I guess you just kind of have to eyeball that when you're going through the what I call the recruiting process. But when you follow it, it's like, okay, is this, you know, uh, heard about it last night at the uh, at the signing day dinner, you know, Marcus Harper. Um, some of the line, Jonathan Dennis, some of the linemen that Oregon had committed, Jake Shipley, all these guys committed to Oregon in the spring. They never took another visit anywhere else. Wow. They were, they were in there. Wow. And there was a, there's a number of them, but those were a couple of examples. Um, didn't visit anywhere else. So it was not like it got down to the 11th hour and they were like, oh crap, I'm leaving Chicago and going all the way to Oregon no. or I'm leaving Florida and going they all the way. They knew where they wanted to They be. knew, yeah. They were in. It was like, hey, my mindset's already that I'm going to Oregon. I'm good with leaving. You know, and everybody's situation's different. I get all that, but it just reminds me, and I know I said this earlier, it reminds me of even just four or five years ago when all these SoCal kids leaning to Oregon, leaning to Oregon, leaning to Oregon, we get to the 11th hour. And that needle starts moving towards USC. And I start thinking of Devin Williams and Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Marquise Lee. And, and there's a number of guys that, you know, Oregon's thinking, well, we're going to get, we're finally going to get, we're going to steal one from USC, finally get a steal from USC. <laughs> and then the 12th hour hits and it's like, boom, I'm staying closer to home, I'm going to USC. It's like, no, you know, and so it, I've just seen it so many times. And, and uh, again, I think, I think this coaching staff, as it relates to Oregon, does such a good job developing relationships with recruits early and it's a very like truthful and honest relationship i think they do more than just say hey we're going to make you a great football player oh hey by the way this is our you know engineering program or this is our journalism program and you know here's how this is going to prepare you for life after football they do so many of these other things that are just not football related that um that i think are 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 tremendous and and i think it really goes to why oregon has the success they do yeah yeah, to borrow an expression from a prior regime, Ducks won the day. Ducks won the man. I, I kind of liked that one. The blue, the blue collar one was terrible. The men of Oregon, I didn't like. I did like win the day. I thought that was a good one. Yeah, Chip nailed that one. Are, are you are you referring? I can't remember now because that that year is a blur to me. The uh, blue collar men in Oregon. That's yeah. the slogan they had the year after Helfrich got fired, right? No, it was the year where they where they swapped out all the glass in the duck store. Yeah, it was the year he it. got fired. It was either the year or the year before. I don't remember, but it was a Helfrich thing, a hundred percent a Helfrich okay. thing. And I know they pushed the men of Oregon. And I get, I mean, I get the slogan. I get it. It just, it wasn't very inspirational in my opinion. It doesn't reach a 15, 16, 17 year old. You know what I mean? It's not cool like win the day. Yeah, win the day was cool. Win the day is yeah. still cool. Yeah. No. Yeah. And it's just funny because Mario really doesn't have like a catchphrase of any kind. Right. I mean, it's just, and I mean, I've even approached him about it before off air when we were doing our interviews and it's like, eh, it's just not really me. You know, I I mean, we believe in what we're doing and kids believe it too. And we're just sticking with it. Right. Okay. Well, I I think you can tell, and this is not a knock on Mario. I I would say this to him personally, just when I hear his interviews and I, I watch his press conferences you can tell he's he's not a poet. Yeah. He's not an artist. Right. This is a guy that is very structurally minded, very systematic yeah, in oh his yeah. approach. Oh, yeah. And you don't need a catchy slogan. Right. Those kind of guys, they're not going to come up with one. They don't need one. Don't need one. They're going to do things their way. Yeah. And right now, you just beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, <laughs> whooped Utah in a, ch- in a title game yep. on national TV. I don't think you need one. Right. And so far, you're 2-0 and against your... 
feared rival of the North the Washington. The greatest team in all the world. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was looking, uh, and uh, Washington has beaten Oregon four times since 2000. Oh, they, don't tell Jimmy Lake. Yeah. No, I know. They probably should get the memo. Yeah. Yeah. Just remember when 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 they when they beat Oregon, you know, oh, we're back. The dominance is back. And it's like you guys won four games since two thousand. Right. It's twenty twenty. Right. <laughs> okay. I, I just I can't get enough of that. Like clearly, and I'm not saying he's a bad guy. No. I've only heard good things about him. I get from, what like, he's the doing. Beat writers and stuff. But clearly he looks at Mario Cristobal and says, Okay, I gotta ramp up my energy to eleven. Yeah. No, the, the and yeah, and I, I just, it's not real, right? No, the emulation is clear. It's like, hey, you know what? I see what's working down there in Eugene. I'm not creative enough to do my own thing. I'm gonna copy what they're yeah. doing. Well, I mean, here's the thing: if you're gonna copy what somebody else is doing, you have to do it better. That's the hard part. So if you just go blaze your own trail, and hey, you know, th- that's why I like. As bad as it's going, I give Chip Kelly credit for sticking to his guns. He's, yeah. he's. I mean, it's Chip. He is, is who he that is. is. 100% Chip. Yeah, down there. he he is who he is. He's not going to be Mario Cristobal. He's not going to smile in his interviews a bunch. He's not going to talk about injuries. That's just who Chip is. Yes. And he's also not going to sit here and text a bunch of 17-year-olds and try to get them to come to his school. He's just not going to do it. And, and I'll say in his defense, I, I cite this example a lot because it's a local one and because I know I know the kid and I know the family. That's why Chase Cota went to UCLA. Yeah. Of they knew Chip for years, and Chip goes into their home, and he's Chip Kelly. And yeah. he's not putting on a face, and he's not trying out new slogans. Right. He's just being Chip. Yeah. And they really resonated with that. That's, uh, and that's, you bring a great point because the one year that Willie Taggart was here, I think they very much f- could feel. Oh, that was not Willie at all. The fakeness. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it was. You know, there was no sincerity. There was I mean, so I, I believe, yeah, Chip Kelly was basically here. I am. You want to come play football for me? Great, come play football. If you don't, best of luck to you. You right. know, and, and and Willie tried a lot of things, and and I'm not bagging on the guy, but you're definitely talking about two completely different personalities. Yes, and and I think, you know, uh, Chad was actually at the signing day event last night with oh, his mom cool. and dad. So that's yeah, cool. that that was good, and got to talk to him for a little bit. We didn't get Brady Breeze, who I did you know have quick communication with about coming he's like i really want to go but they're having me go to portland all right buddy i get it you're superstar now you're the mvp well it's a it's a five hour (laughs) drive yeah and he's a busy guy right because he's thinking about next level yeah well not yet he's got another year but yeah yeah so yeah i guess we've uh i I guess we've about used up our hour we're hitting the hour We, we could talk hoops but yeah oh oh okay all right. All right. Hang on. Executive decision. I'll, I'll check my email. I'll make sure we don't have anything urgent. Yeah, we can come and back over this. Yeah. It, it sounds like that big fish I was talking about earlier. Yeah. He uh, wants yep. to jump on with us. Yep. Okay. All right. Let me let me make sure. I got nothing urgent here. Um, man. It's funny, too. I've, I've said before that when uh, when he wants to jump on, we make it happen. There's only and there's only a couple. <laughs> I don't have any emails, so I'm just going to make the executive decision here. My company can deal. Mario Cristobal's coming on. Yep, yep. It's it is. He's ready. Apparently, uh, apparently he's ready to roll. So that we sound excited about this. No, that's it's just what that, that's just what happens <laughs> on this podcast. We're you know I'm sitting here and my phone is flashing and I ignore it most of the time. And I look, I saw that one. 
you know, it's like, oh, I guess uh, coach is available to do a quick segment. So <clears throat> I know you're on a timetable, but the you expression know. I've said before is he is the CEO of duck football. Right. And when the CEO wants to talk to you, <laughs> you got to pick up. You clear the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're clearing the calendar. Mario Cristobal, coach of the Ducks. He's got a message for you coming up. Scoop Duck and high five. All right. Mario Cristobal on the line with us. Coach, big day for you yesterday. And Justin and I were talking headlines earlier. I feel like the headline is you just went into Alabama and got a stud defensive lineman. Can you tell us about Jason Jones? Well, you know, you want to always get bigger and more powerful in the interior of, of both your lines, right, offensively and defensively. And, you know, he was a guy that had been committed for so long. We were, we were a little bit tentative at first in his recruiting process, thinking, well, you know, I've been down there. I know when a guy's committed down there, it's, you know, blocked in pretty good. So to, uh, we decided, you know what, let's invest in this guy. Awesome young man, explosive, powerful. Uh, a lot of just value to a team from so many different ways from intangible standpoint tangible standpoint so uh, we went all out and great job by the staff that just poured themselves into it and he's, he's a duck uh coach we'll get into the five stars in a few minutes but it feels like overall uh there was a major emphasis in this class for you guys to uh, definitely extend nationally looking for those bigger longer more physical body types was that something that you guys really tried to emphasize early in this process Without a doubt, you know, we feel we're changing the dynamic of our team and, and just watching, I'm sitting there and, and at these events last night watching our guys, you know, the guys we just signed, how explosive they are. I mean, like every every clip is someone just getting discombobulated, you know, due to just a, an extremely physical and violent play. And uh, our length has gotten better. You know, we've lost a couple of real long guys in the last couple of years, and uh, Justin Hollins, Gus Cumberland, or Jalen Jelks. Um, you know, and now, of course, Blackhawk, man, you know, Bryson Young. These are long body types that developed into really good players. We feel we got a good jump on these long body types and that they're going to be just a tremendous addition to us. Not only on defense, you know, I think Devin Williams kind of kind of gets lost in the shuffle. He's actually a 2020 signee because he walked on here for the first quarter. So um, we improved our length at the receiver position as well. Uh, Coach, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the five stars a little bit. I know you've got to be just a bit giddy at that. First time in program history, bringing in three. Uh, first time in, in program history, bringing in two five-star linebackers. Uh, Dante Manning, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo. What do you see in there, and what do you love about those guys? These guys are knockback tacklers. Big, physical, smart, high football IQ, rangy guys. Diagnosed quickly. I mean, these guys, they get downhill in a hurry. They can also put a foot in the ground and run with a tight end, run with a slot. Um, just tremendous presence. All team captains at their respective teams, all of them just students of the game. They're always in there catching extra film, trying to find ways to get better. There's no flinch in these guys. These guys know they could come and have an impact on us right away, and uh, they're working hard to do so and get here as soon as they can. I, I can't help but think we had Greg Biggins on earlier from 24-7 Sports, and, and he referred to Sewell as a maniac and just somebody that really fits what you're looking for. And, and then I hear you mention, hey, these five-star guys were all team captains. Is, is that what you're looking for, Coach? Does that fit kind of what an Oregon man is? Yeah, I mean, anytime you could find a guy, right, that is, has been a captain for his team, a guy that has had the opportunity to lead and been effective as a leader, it's 
it's such a huge plus. I mean, you think about it. I, all these guys with tremendous ability in the country, and what's the difference? What's going to separate them? It's going to be the guys that can't can't live without football. It's going to be the guys that find ways to make those around them better. It's going to be guys that just won't won't be defeated, that won't be denied. And you know, when when these guys have the ability to do that at such a young age and then develop further in our program, it's a huge bonus. Uh, rankings are great. I know those serve a purpose. Uh, measurables are something that I know you guys are looking at, of course. But how much effort and time are you guys putting into, uh, you know, the pers- prospective student athletes off the field, their their academics, what they're doing in their communities? How much time are you and your assistants spending, uh, you know, really doing background checks on the guys that you guys are uh, recruiting? Nonstop. Nonstop. I mean, it starts with the attendance record. It starts with who's not on time. It, it rolls into what they're doing for the community. It, it goes into just very deep, deep work, observations, assessments, evaluations. And like you mentioned, background checks on what you're getting because our, our team is very diverse. We recruit all over the country. And if you walk in our locker room, I mean, look at all the lockers, all the names and all the places they're from. It's It doesn't get any more diverse than that. So we have to create a culture of high achievers that want to be around high achievers because it's it's the best way to bring a team together, right? Like-minded guys with, that are driven and humble and hungry that want to do it the right way. And that's what we've been fortunate enough to, to collect a fair amount of, and we've got to continue to groom that and, and make sure that that always is at the forefront of our program. Coach, you uh, obviously uh, yesterday had a press conference announcing offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead. Uh, don't want to spend a lot of time here. You've only had a couple weeks around him, I know, but he was out on the road recruiting for you. Just your early thoughts there of what you've seen and been able to at least communicate with him on the phone. I know you guys haven't been in the same building all that much, but just your early thoughts and what he's been able to do in just his short time in Eugene already. Well, I think it's similar to the hire we had last year, a defensive coordinator, just a guy that's you know, a real deal professional, tremendous human being. I mean, to me, you always could tell by – um, just the way that they're around people, right? Uh, especially when people that you've known in the profession for a long time, that can really vouch for them as human beings as well as great teachers, great mentors, and all that kind of stuff. That's huge. And I mean, look at if we can get the same type of improvement that we had uh, on defense this past year. I mean, you're talking about a complete cultural change on defense from the staff dynamic, from the investment in the coaches, um, their families, right, the players themselves, and, and look at the numbers, they're staggering. And we did some pretty good things on offense this year and some other things that we definitely got to improve upon, and we think Coach Moorhead unquestionably is the guy to help us get there. Uh, great recruiting class in 2020. That's signed, sealed, and delivered. I know you're probably still a little bit high on that massive Rose Bowl win uh, over Wisconsin. I'm sure you're still enjoying that a little bit, but I know you're a best foot forward kind of guy. Early early thoughts on 2021, not recruiting related, but you know your team, where things are at, what the guys are doing right now, and and what are kind of the major keys for getting ready for this upcoming season. Major keys is culture and leadership by the guys that decided to come back first and foremost. The guys that were juniors that that did have NFL draftable grades, but decided, hey, I want to get better. We still have unfinished business, and that recognize the fact that we can take this program up another level this year. And it has to come from within. I mean, the one thing that we cannot have is the fact that, all right, a lot of our freshmen walked into a Pac-12 championship, and they contributed, right? But they also walked into their first season, won the Pac-12, and won the Rose Bowl. Well, the seniors that were there, they walked into a 4-8 and season. 
that's a whole different dynamic, right? The, the reason was strong. Their why was immense. And they did a great job providing leadership and grooming leadership within our younger guys. So that now has to grow exponentially. And now we have to continue to move forward and press forward because we want to be great all the time. We want to be a dominant football program. There are no letdowns. There are no setbacks. Um, it's got to come from within. We want to and have to be the team that is always on the attack and that is always hungrier than its opponent. I love that line, Coach. The why was immense. Uh, you, you talk about the 4-8 and eight year that your senior class had when they came to Oregon. Do you feel like that Rose Bowl win might might have hurt your freshmen this year? Do you feel like that's an issue for you guys? As no, you try to build absolutely not, man. Come no. on now. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to hot Rose take Bowl you. So not, not hurt your freshman class? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not, I'm not no, trying I to hot take you. Great. I, I think they got to witness some real deal, you know, and not only seniors, but also juniors and sophomores that that have been through it now. I mean, every single, you know, I say it all the time, there, there's some painful steps in football you can't skip. I mean, everybody wants to go from A to Z right now, and you can't. It just if you do that, I mean, you're, there's there's no foundation. There's going to be a collapse somewhere along the line. So, you know, when when you're recruiting and when you're training in the off season, because we get some five star guys and we get some guys that maybe aren't, but our development process has stood the test of time. Okay. Before we got to Oregon, now since we've been at Oregon, and it's something that when it's bought into, it produces unbelievable results. But there's no halfway in, there's no 95%, and you've got to be 100% in all the time. And it's going to require every ounce of blood sweat that these guys have to offer. And I think they know that. I think they recognize that. Um, and, and I also think that, you know, the two losses we had last year, those things stung as bad as they could, you can imagine. And that, that also has to be part of the driving force. You know, we can be really, really, really good. Uh, but we have to be at a certain level mentally and physically because everyone has got talent out there. And if you're not at your peak, if you're not at your very high point, every time you step on the field, you don't get your ass beat. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's the uh, the high stakes of college football. Uh, Coach, I know that uh, you're a busy guy, so we want to get you out here. And uh, you and most of your assistants are, are at least taking a small break, a much-deserved break. Uh, but I, I get the sense that uh, you're still going to be working, even though it's technically your vacation this week. Well, it's, the thing is, this this time of year for a head coach is kind of a nightmare because you have to fill so many positions. So, you know, on paper, uh, definitely assistance they need. they got to get away, and, and definitely I'll do stuff with my family. But the day starts and ends with recruiting. I mean, whoever feels they can get away from that, well, they just I think we all know what kind of results those lead to. You, you just can't. Have you got to continue building the program? It starts from within as well. So we'll spend an extraordinary amount of time with our players, strengthening and building and rebuilding our relationships, our trust, grooming leadership, finding a couple different guys for a couple different open spots that we have, possibly adding a couple positions within the department as well for us. And of course, full scale, full throttle attack on the 2021 class, which is off to, I think, maybe the best start in, in Oregon history from a recruiting standpoint. So it's a foot on the gas, man. No breaks. Yeah, coach. Each each. Well, obviously, this is only you've only been here for two years, two cycles. But each year, it just keeps ramping up, early, earlier, and recruiting. And I know you cannot talk about specific twenty twenty one guys, but the start that you're off to already is 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 definitely setting the bar. Uh, coach, we appreciate your time always, and we love having you on. And uh, 
definitely uh, enjoy your semi-vacation week, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you guys. Thanks for your time, and go Ducks. Go Ducks. I swear, it wouldn't be a Mario Cristobal interview unless I asked him a stupid question. <laughs> happens every time. You know, here's what I have found about my age and being in our 40s, you know, or at least I'm in my 40s. I know you're not, but just... I have no problem admitting when I've made a mistake and just kind of owning it at this point instead of like covering it up. It's funny because my teenagers right. are always like, oh, I didn't mess up. I didn't say that. Like, You did, but it's okay. Yeah. It's really, it's okay. It, I feel, <laughs> I feel how, it, and I make fun of him all the time. I feel bad for this now. I feel like when James Crepia from the Oregonian, if you, you watch the press conferences that you share on Scoop Duck, yeah. you can see it. There's questions that James James will ask, and you can see Mario's expression, yeah. and then Mario's answer. I kind of feel like James right yeah. now. I'm getting just shredded here. Just but, a, yeah, you're like, uh, can I get a do-over? This is what I meant to say. Right, you know right. what I mean? <laughs> but uh, I yeah. love having him on. Oh, great yeah. guy. Always great energy with us. Honest with us. Yeah. And you can just sense a a confidence right now in that program. Yeah. They know, even if 24-7 doesn't know, this is the best roster in the Pac-12. In my opinion, and I, and I almost asked him this, but I didn't want it to come off in a derogatory way, but I feel like Oregon has, you know, they signed, Mario Crispo signed so many high upside developmental guys, in which what I mean by that is, is you go look at a Braden Swinson or, uh, you know, you look at a Jason Jones, you look at a, an Ope Lalulu. I don't think any of those guys will contribute their first year at Oregon, which is not a negatory thing at all. I think they are guys you bring in, and and exactly what I mean, developmental guys, work with them for a year or two, yeah. and they are incredibly high upside guys that maybe start contributing a little bit in a sophomore year, redshirt, freshman year, whatever you want to call it, and then by junior, senior year, whatever, you've got a dude on your hands that suddenly you're plugging in the lineup and is ready-made. That's what they do at Alabama. Yeah, You're turning out really good players, and they go to the NFL, and behind them is somebody that you've brought in that's a high-upside developmental guy, worked on him for a year or two, yeah. and he's ready to go. Well, you hear Mario talk about this every interview, fourth-quarter program. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it works. Yes. It's not just a thing. I mean, right. We talked about how the Ducks don't have a slogan. Right. I think fourth quarter program is as close to one as they've got, but it's more than a slogan. Yeah. It really does work. Yeah. No, fourth quarter program, I I, I believe, and I think almost to, to answer your question a little bit, that fourth quarter program and what those players were able to see from their bodies over the course of an entire season I think the fourth quarter program the first year was obviously a success, but I think in the second year it was a massive success. And you're able to see basically Oregon go into the Rose Bowl at the end of the season. Usually you're worn down, you're nicked up. You know, Oregon avoided a lot of injuries for most of the season, for the most part, major injuries, uh, receiver notwithstanding. And they went in there looking fresh and strong and ready to play against a Wisconsin team that honestly in the second half was beaten down. Yes. Yes. And I, and I think that speaks just it just speaks loudly about the fourth quarter program and and that's the thing um you heard Chris Ball say it the, the why is immense. Well, why are we working quote. so hard in the fourth quarter program? Well, guess what? Remember the Rose Bowl when you kicked Wisconsin's ass because you felt good? There's your why. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it's one thing for anyone in any football or any 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 other type of organization to preach certain things until you go out and do it and see it succeed 
it really becomes a realization, and, and that's kind of where I think Coach Cristobal's at at this point. Everything that he preached up until this point and the fourth quarter program and working so hard. And the one year, one word I like to use for Coach Cristobal is relentless. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind he hung up the phone with us. Okay, he's, he's not in Eugene. He's on vacation. He should be vacation vacation with finger quotes i he just talked about i guarantee he's you know talking to people on the phone you know might be answering back uh who knows but he's doing work related to oregon football right now and will for throughout the week so doesn't mean he might not go out to stay a nice dinner or something with his family or go to the beach one day or something but he's still working and 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 he was right his the assistants needed some time off it was much deserved. All those guys go on a vacation for a week, not see each other. I don't know how you could be around somebody so much and not get annoyed with them. That's like if you and I were in this office doing a podcast oh, yeah. seven days a week, yeah. all year long, we'd want to punch each other. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Matt. Stop talking. You know, and you'd be like, J-Hop, get out of here. You know, the so, next time J-Hop slaps the <laughs> mic stand, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going crazy. So, no, that's, uh, you know, those guys had to get out of there, see their families and, uh, Man, just it was great to hear him talk about uh, Jason Jones too, which he wasn't able to do in his press conference yesterday. I yeah. imagine he was able, to, you know, Coach Chris Ball touched on it at the Portland dinner, but that was only at that one dinner people were at. So um, nice to hear him talk about that and appreciate his time. Yeah, yeah. State of the Ducks is strong, it, yep. and and Oregon football is strong in the years ahead. The anti USC. Now we did <laughs> tease. We ran out of time. Could have talked hoops. I want to end on this note. Yes. Sabrina Ionescu is the greatest college basketball player that I have ever seen. Yeah. And if you are not on her bandwagon, get on it. (laughs) If you are not watching that team, watch them. They just went into UConn. UConn. Blue chip UConn. Greatest college basketball program on the planet. And they blew them out. Yeah. Buy in on that team right now. Become a fan. Watch these games. And uh, we'll talk about them a ton and about what the men are doing. We'll talk about them a lot in the weeks ahead. Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. Check it out. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere. ScoopDuck.com as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. I can do this now.